President and CEO Kwang Woo Kim released his pre-recorded State of the College Address this week. He celebrated some successes and also criticized retention and the college's presence in the South Loop neighborhood. I'll tell you what other goals Kim shared for the future of Columbia. The spring semester is coming to a close next month, and now is the perfect time to start looking for summer and fall housing. Learn about what you should know before becoming a first-time renter. Stay tuned to learn about a new art exhibit by the Hogan Gallery that asks you, does the art excuse the accused? This is Chronicle Headlines. I'm your host, Paige Barnes. In a nutshell, we're in the midst of some difficult times. We're not finished. Uh, I like to say that this pandemic may have a longer tail than we understand, and we are prepared to deal with that. But we're excited about the fall and the future. This is President and CEO Kwang Woo Kim delivering the State of the College Address. He talks about issues facing Columbia post-pandemic, efforts to further Columbia as an anti-racist institution, and gave a preview to his position paper as the college launches a new strategic planning process. Kim's office also invited students to sign up for a student forum that was hosted earlier today to discuss the address. Here to talk about the challenges and successes Kim shared is photojournalist Zachary Klingenpeel. In Kim's address, he sort of presented his plans for the next coming years for the college, and he presented them in a wide range of topics and fields. So he started by listing out his sort of axiomatic values for the school, which he defined as being a college for creatives and being uh, dedicated to diversity, equity, and inclusion. From there, he went into sort of more specifics and he highlighted certain things that he would like for departments to change. Um, you know, one thing he talked about that would be really big is reorganizing the campus so that certain departments are next to each other. Um, he also talked about, you know, providing a, a different method of counseling for students so that each student has an academic as well as a um, as a career counselor. And, uh, you know, he also highlighted a couple of other things that, you know, all of this can be addressed in what is an upcoming forum, which will be open to all students and faculty. That's a lot to unpack. So why don't we go into each individual topic that you had talked about just a few seconds ago and go into plans for diversity, equity, and inclusion. I know Columbia is always saying that they are committed to it, but what did Kim say about furthering its mission? That's a good question. Um, so I... To be fair, I, he kind of broke it up a little bit differently. So some of the DEI stuff is spread out throughout. Um, but I mean, one of the things that he talked about a lot was providing, um, you know, for increasing tuition costs, as well as being able to provide scholarships for students and sort of balancing that. If we are to realize the college's core mission, which is to prepare our students to become authors of their culture of their times, we must make sure that in their studies, they are exposed to, experience, and confront multiple forms of creative practice in any given area of focus so that they can determine their values, their ideas of truth and meaning as they refine who they are and what they choose to do. There were times that um, you know, some of it was a bit vague, 
but um, basically the bottom line is that he is communicating with the board about um, you know, what programs we can provide for that. Um, another sort of way that uh, DEI was, he encouraged uh, sort of engagement between the college and the community. Um, and the reason, you know, I would consider this sort of, you know, in that realm of DEI is because, uh, you know, he's really stressed working with local community groups to uh, what he described as activate the South Loop uh, using our ground floor spaces for things like art galleries. Um, and he also talked about revitalizing the Wabash Arts Corridor, which is the program which erected a lot of the murals that we can be found in um, Columbia's, you know, promotion material. The That's interesting you say that because it would be really interesting to, to have more people understand what Columbia College is, right? Because when whenever I mention I attend Columbia College, people are like, what? And so strengthening our presence on campus makes sense. As for the next fall semester, what did he say about those plans and also in regard to COVID-19? He spoke very briefly at the beginning about wanting to return to in-person classes next semester. You know, obviously there's a lot of classes currently that are in-person and he doesn't go into a lot of specifics, um, but I think that the implication there is that there's an overall effort to make things more on campus. And then later on in the, in the speech, he discusses how, you know, certain aspects of quarantine life, of, of life during COVID-19 uh, will hopefully find their ways into curriculum. Um, he spoke specifically about, you know, deciding what classes would be better online and what classes would be better in person. All of those efforts really rely on faculty and staff, which you mentioned um, some of their call to action that he put forth. What did he ask them to, what does he want them to do? A lot of the speech wasn't just, um, you know, pointing out, you know, what's nice about the school or pointing out, you know, sort of these small things that need to be changed. In a lot of cases, uh, Kim, you know, pointed out things that sort of sounded uh, the way he described them as sort of um, difficulties with the school. So, you know, at the beginning, he discusses, um, he, I think the direct quote I have here is that, um, you know, every Columbia student that leaves without a degree in their hand is an indication of institutional failure. Um, also, he sort of um, labels the school as accountable for Columbia Online, a program that um, sort of was canceled earlier uh, during the pandemic due to pandemic costs. Um, and then he asks a lot of the faculty, um, you know, there's a section where he mentions changing the managerial culture, uh, which he sort of goes into detail and um, describes as making sure that, um, you know, sort of management within each department uh, is setting clear expectations for teachers and is being as communicative as possible. He also brings that up a lot during um, the section where he talks about counseling. One area in which Kim is a little bit more critical and um, you know, sort of calls on the school or the faculty or even the students uh, to change certain things uh, is within the grad program. So um, you know, I, the exact quote I have in the story is um, that the grad program has not necessarily yielded in the way, in much in the way of measurable results. So you know, there was sort of critical language used in different parts of the article Another issue I know that has been prevalent for quite some time, and then, you know, COVID hit, which made it even worse, is students' retention. What did Kim say about working on that issue? He talks a little bit about, you know, making sure that students that leave Columbia leave with a degree in hand. And some of the specifics that he sort of goes into detail with that is changing the introductory courses and changing the introductory experience for students so that they can feel more a part of a community. 
He also highlights other sort of community aspects. Um, he talks a lot about how the school doesn't have, um, you know, inter-school sports. It doesn't have Greek life and how um, that can sort of be difficult for, um, you know, first year students. Um, so he sort of stressed, you know, working on, on um, creating that community sense. And then um, he also discussed certain professional skills that he believes um, would, you know, help student success and help students get, um, you know, get to that four-year mark or to that, you know, graduation mark. He also discusses, uh, you know, certain practical skills and business skills that he thinks would uh, get students to that graduation mark, um, such as, you know, basic business skills, basic math skills, um, you know, certain skills related to communication um, and, and multimedia communication specifically. And it sort of sounds like he wants to spread a lot of those skills uh, much farther because obviously, you know, if you're a business major, you're going to be taking business classes. But um, but maybe if you're like a fine art history major, you're not taking those as much. Interesting. What about the methods of counseling you had mentioned earlier? I think I sort of misspoke a little bit earlier. I said counselor, but I technically meant advisor. I know that those are sort of slightly different things. Um, but yeah, there's a section of his speech where Kim is, um, he even sort of labels it uh, as, you know, possibly a touchy subject. Um, the exact quote I have is at the risk of perhaps touching a nerve. This is something I intend to call out the traditional vibe between student affairs and academic affairs. And, you know, he sort of goes into more detail about that uh, by specifically saying that he wishes for a model in which each student has an academic advisor and a career advisor. And um, then he goes on to sort of justify that by saying, um, you know, under, understanding the professional implications of academic choices uh, would be useful for the student's success. Did he give a, a timeline as to certain milestones he's hoping to achieve? You know, first, um, of, of course, in the fall when classes hopefully resume more in person and then next is DI. Like, is I guess there is a list of priority, did he say? That's a very good question. And I think that um, so I, I don't think that Kim really gave any sort of milestones or, or sort of any goal years for a lot of the things that he mentioned. This speech is sort of a predecessor to a paper, a position paper, which Kim will be putting out publicly on the 23rd. So I assume that a lot of um, details will be, you know, expounded upon within that paper. Um, and I also think that, um, you know, if you're a student or a faculty member, um, you know, April 16th would be a really good time to figure out more about those details. Was there anything that Kim said that surprised you as a student? For starters, and I've already mentioned this, but one thing that sort of surprised me would be that reorganization of campus, you know, especially when you consider there are certain departments like film and um, photo, which have, you know, equipment cages and certain um, facilities. However, presumably the way he described that, um, you know, it makes sense to put things like that near each other. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm curious what sort of um, cost and infrastructure would have to go into that. I, I guess it surprised me that Kim was so, you know, straightforward and to the point about some things. Um, I think at some points, you know, um, in a little bit harsh about certain things. While it's true that there may be students who complete their studies at Columbia, even if they're not particularly happy with us, it's equally true that every student who leaves Columbia College Chicago without a degree in hand is an indication of institutional failure. Not a criticism, but a statement of our collective responsibility. Kim doesn't seem to shy away from sort of um, very forward things, very, um, at some points, like critical things. Um, so I think that 
I think that the speech overall has sort of a shocking effect to it. Thank you very much, Zach, for telling me all about Dr. Kim's speech. You can read his full article on ColumbiaChronicle.com. Living on your own can be challenging, especially when you're first starting out. From finding and screening buildings, signing a lease, and paying for utilities, we've all been there. And there. Before renting your first apartment, staff reporter Matus Janik joins me now to tell you a few things you'll want to know to make living on your own a great experience. When you're looking for an apartment, especially in Chicago, some factors you should consider, well, I guess a big factor you should consider first are bed bugs. Now, bed bug infestation in apartment buildings is pretty, you know, it's pretty common in Chicago and you should really check in through like some records or at least ask some neighbors or people who live in the building you're looking at, you know, has there been issues with bed bugs in the past and sort of things like that. But I guess some other factors to consider is where you want to live, what neighborhood you want to live in, obviously. If you want to live in maybe some of the more, I guess you could call them trendier neighborhoods like Logan Square or Wicker Park. You know, if you want to be close to all the action or maybe just close to all the shops, maybe you want to be somewhere near Lakeview or Streeterville, but also we're students. So take that into consideration when you're looking for apartments. And, you know, really there are options in, you know, West Garfield Park, Garfield Park in general. If you look at the South Side and South Shore even in Bronzeville or even parts of Hyde Park and Washington Park also, you know, there's some pretty cool townhouses or two to three story flats out there for people to look at. But, you know, outside of just what neighborhood or what kind of apartment, uh, another factor to consider is price. Like, you know, if you're going to be living in Streeterville or Lakeview or Wicker Park or Logan Square, you might be paying more for rent, specifically Logan Square. I know that right now with the Lincoln Yards expansion and stuff like that, surrounding you know that neighborhood in general you're going to find higher rent prices higher property value you're going to find you know not the most modest rent prices per month you mentioned cost which i think is super important where you know you have to balance being able to afford rent but also get what you want which i would argue i would want in unit washing and drying which i realize is quite a luxury in chicago so i'm yeah. wondering how much is rent on average in chicago it kind of fluctuates a little but right now with recent reports from uh, specifically from apartmentlist.com uh, they've you know seen that in Chicago, amongst other cities, uh, rent prices aren't that high. Honestly, rent prices in Chicago for a one-bedroom apartment kind of go for I want to say a thousand one hundred and thirty dollars or thirty-one dollars to be exact. If you're that you know exact with stuff, but you know even for a two-bedroom, it's twelve hundred dollars or one thousand two hundred forty-seven, according to that report. But Really, prices aren't that high. I mean, compared to somewhere like San Francisco, where prices may be like $2,400 or New York, where it might still be stuck at $1,600, you know, Chicago's in a good place right now where if you want to stay in the city and if your plans either during school or after school, you know, because some of us are graduating to, you know, stay in the city, you know, Chicago is looking more of an not bad of an option, maybe. We talked about price. Now to the basic of just finding a place in general, what resources are out there to help someone start looking? So yeah, some resources or some basics to use to help start looking for apartments are websites like Domu or Hopheads. 
specifically uh, Jay Koshiarz, uh from Urbanized Chicago. Uh, when he was talking with me for the article itself, he mentioned those two websites specifically uh, because Domu, uh, the first one, that one, it kind of categorizes everything. So if you're someone who's looking for something very specific, like let's say, like you said, in apartment laundry, you want both dryer and washer, and you want to have access to maybe a balcony or maybe have pets in there. You could really get specific with that kind of stuff on the website and really kind of like bring it down to like your needs and what you sort of need. And in hot pads, that's an also a website you could use. But I think the benefit with that one is it verifies landlords specifically in Chicago. And just to go back to Domu, Domu itself is you know founded in Chicago. So they have a lot of more independent landlords or other people you might not find on, you know, apartments.com or Zillow or any of those other websites. But you know, if you're just looking or starting to look, definitely use anything and everything. You'll find listings on probably multiple sites for the same apartment. You know, if you find a place that you like, take that address or take the, you know, I think that's a building code, but just take the address and go on some other websites to check, you know, what are they listing? Is this person real? You know, maybe it's just someone screwing with you just to put up posts because they want to get a quick buck off of you or say they're a real estate real estate agent and you know charge you for a credit check charge and then you don't hear back from them stuff like that so you know it's always good to cover your bases but you know those two websites are kind of good launching or good starting points for people to start looking for places i couldn't imagine being catfished by a house like we hear about you know dating and catfish but like you know apartment searching and being catfished terrible your source, Jay Koziars, what was his argument or thoughts on searching for an apartment based off of just the looks and the photos online? Well, what Jay kind of said is always try to go in person. You know, I think it may be difficult for some students who may be looking from out of state. You know, obviously, if you're in another state right now and you can't come to look at places or you can't be physically in the apartment to check it out yourself. That may be a whole nother issue for you. But there's some other place, you know, if you're here in Chicago and you're looking for a place and you're maybe wanting to like check it out or walk around in the neighborhood itself, his advice is just to go out there and check it out. You know, if you're not comfortable with going inside the building, maybe just taking a walk around the building could help you get a better perspective of whether or not you want to live there or not. Because I think what people need to realize, too, is that you're not just living in your apartment. You're also living in that neighborhood. And to figure out if you're a good fit for that neighborhood, you sometimes just kind of have to you know, get a feel for it. Maybe take a stroll, take a walk, you know, take 30 minutes or an hour just to, you know, check things out and see if you're OK with it. What about if I'm in a situation as a renter and things just don't work out, right? What protections do I have in Chicago um, as a tenant? A lot of people would be surprised that, you know, a lot of people have rights. And specifically when it comes down to renters' rights, there's a lot of things within the Chicago's residential landlord and tenant ordinance that protects renters themselves. So anything for like, you know, knowing your rights as a renter to being protected as a renter, it's all in that website if you just look up the Chicago's residential landlord and tenant ordinance. And if you kind of just go down, there is a pamphlet to kind of simplify stuff because there is a lot of things to go over. But, you know, it just kind of gives you an idea of what you kind of can get burned or stuff you could kind of get catfished on, like we talked about earlier, or get, you know, blackballed on too. Sometimes these agreements, you know, included into leases are also a thing. You want to be able to read those leases. And the ordinance itself 
actually helps and kind of takes those, I guess you would call them bad agreements out. Like it protects renters from even having to deal with that kind of stuff. So stuff like, you know, notice of termination, you know, renters can lose that notice if it's in the clause or somewhere in the agreement, you know, the renter or the landlord, excuse me, can come and just tell them you have to leave within 48 hours or something like that. And, you know, they can't do anything because they wrote the lease or they signed off on the lease saying they would. Or something like confession of judgment, which is like letting the landlord, you know, or the tenant would technically agree to allow any judgment against them, meaning that it would allow the landlord to file a court order against the tenant without them knowing. So having certain things like that into a lease agreement can make it sketchier, but the ordinance actually helps and you know, omits a lot of that stuff. Of course, you have to dot your um, I's and cross your T's before signing any contract for, for that. So I'm glad that you shared that because I think a lot of people just overlook those things um, because it sounds wonderful, but you just never know what that kind of fine print is in the contract. Where else can renters go to research the building that they're interested in? So let's say the landlord is verified and the contract looks good, but the building itself, how do I inspect it? A, a great way to do this, and uh, Michelle Gilbert also mentions this in the story, but to kind of just get an idea of what's been going on with the building or specifically who owns the building too, you know, that's also shown in this. Uh, the City of Chicago's Department of Building Permit and Inspection Records is a great resource to find out you know, what repairs or inspections have been done to the building itself, probably in the last 10 or 20 years. And there's a pretty vast, depending on the building, I guess it would have to be. So depending on what building you're looking at, and you can kind of discern this because some are pretty old. And just by looking at a few, you could figure out if it's past 50 or something like that. But, you know, you could find records that go probably past like the 30 years or something like that that give you, you know, if there's a water line break or something with the sewage or Anything like that, that, you know, hints at, you know, are there issues with this place? You know, because of its older age, you might have some other problems that come with it and stuff like that. Uh, and I guess another resource, uh, I don't want to say students, uh, another resource first time renters can use is uh, the Cook County property tax portal. Uh, that's a great tool just to learn about the landlord's taxes, whether or not they're paid in full. Uh, you want to be sure about that. And you want to be sure if the building itself is not being foreclosed or taken by the bank. Uh, this is where the catfishing gets into play. Um, I don't. I've never had this issue with me. I, I know some other people who's who've had this happen to them before, but it sucks. Uh, but essentially, you know, sometimes you'll find something on Redfin, Zillow, or some of these kinds of even Craigslist would be a better one because that's more sketchier. But you'll find listings that are kind of like, oh, this is a really good deal. And sometimes, like Gilbert says, a good deal is too good to be true. And really, uh, more times than not, you can get cases like where people get their identity stolen because, you know, with the background checks or the credit checks, that could be an issue. Gilbert says to look out for landlords who charge more than $25 to $35 for a credit check. Since most of the times, you know, there could be situations where people get charged upwards up to 100 bucks, which you'll get, you know, if it's one person, you get charged that amount. But if it's like four people, take that into account. That's four people getting charged $400 for a credit check, which is not the greatest feeling in the planet if that happened to you. The Cook County Property Tax Portal can just help you omit that completely. Toss in the address, see whether or not the property is actually owned by anyone, and check if those taxes are actually paid in full. 
Uh, also, some other stuff noted in their list pendants. That's L-I-S-P-E-N-D-E-N-S, uh, which is, I guess, Latin for any kind of pending lawsuits against the property owner. I don't know Latin that well, so I just know that it means that. But also, you could find stuff about the information, or excuse me, you could find information for who owns the property, specifically under documents, deeds, and liens. So L-I-E-N-S. That is all very, very helpful and also wild to hear that has happened to some of your friends. I'm sorry to, to hear that. Lastly, I want to know as a renter yourself in Chicago, Matus, is there any advice that you didn't mention that you want readers to know just from your personal experience? Personally, renting off campus can be scary. I think that, you know, as a student, when I first did it, I did it my sophomore year. So it was very intimidating the first few months. But after a while, I got used to things. And I think you could say this for yourself, too. Just living on your own and just kind of managing the day-to-day or kind of just scheduling out your day, too. It helps get to, I don't know, be an adult. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's just it's nicer to have that kind of area to yourself and not worry about, you know, being on campus or being in a dormitory where an RA can kind of come knocking on your door or something like that. Thank you so much, Matus. And you also know that I was an RA, so I probably was that annoying person knocking on people's doors. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again for sharing. You can read Matus's full article on ColumbiaChronicle.com and make sure to check out the Chronicle's latest e-edition on issue and the Chronicle's website for more helpful tips on renting in Chicago, along with some housing options. Should an artist's abusive or harmful actions be excused for the sake of viewers' enjoyment of their work? Can one have an aesthetic opinion about a piece of artwork and other feelings about the artist themselves? Should the entire cast and crew who also worked on the project be punished for the artist's actions? These are some of the questions curator Madison Pope raises in Does the Art Excuse the Accused exhibition by the Hogan Gallery? I got a chance to speak with Pope, a 2020 Art History alum, and the rest of the Hogan Gallery developers about the exhibit. Everyone knows Picasso, right? He's been upheld as this genius, this creative genius. Like, his work is so great, and it is. He's very innovative, but people are taking a second look at him because, you know, he paints a lot of portraits of the women that he was with. Very well known, but not really talked about in the museum setting, you know, on the walls, at least. I want the audience to also reconsider maybe the way they look at these artists now. Should we really be um, holding up these people on a pedestal like this? Like, you know, and promoting that kind of lifestyle maybe? I don't know. The Hogan Gallery is managed by students in the Gallery Management Practicum. Bob Blanford, the course's instructor, says it's a unique class because with each semester, students must pass on the torch to incoming students to complete the exhibit idea. You know, it's kind of like if you walked into a new job, you need to, you know, right? Like you walk into a new publication, you got to figure out where it's at, pick it up and go for it. Each team tries to prepare as much as they can to turn it over to the next team. Pope's classmate, a 2020 photography alum, Madison Cox, says one of the hardest parts about putting together the installation was shifting through legitimate allegations while listening to potential victims. We didn't want to slander anyone. Like if 
things were alleged, we made sure we said this is alleged. He or she may have done this and may have not. Like, we're not trying to spread gossip. We're not trying to spread rumors. But these are things that people have said or come forward. We're still trying to, like, listen to voices of potential victims. But we're also trying to, like, sift through what could be tabloids. TMZ, just kind of gossip rumors. You can see Does the Art Excuse the Accused at 754 South Wabash Avenue on the first floor of the Student Center through April 30th. And make sure to read my full story at ColumbiaChronicle.com. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all these stories and more at ColumbiaChronicle.com. For additional coverage, we are at CC Chronicle on Instagram and Twitter. Chronicle Headlines is made possible by a collaboration with the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground. Under the leadership of Suzanne McBride, Chair of the Communication Department at Columbia College, Chicago. Until next time, I'm your host, Paige Barnes.